Hello, hello, my dear, here in the United States and around the world. I'm Peter Resnick, and welcome to the Dr. Peter Resnick's toolbox. Thank you very much to all those who wrote emails to me. I received some interesting questions. I will do my best to answer them. I do need some time to do a little research. Again, my email is drpeterresnik at gmail.com, D-R-P-E-T-E-R-R-E-Z-N-I-K at gmail.com. Also, if you want to call us during this show with your comments and or questions, you can call at the number 888-874-4888. Again, 888-874-4888. And as always, first I want to remind you of what we did during the last week's show and also let you know of what I intend to do the next Tuesday. Last week I devoted most of the hour to talking about depression and the tools to deal with this problem. Next Tuesday, I will spend a little time finishing the subject of depression. There are a few more tools I want to share with you, and then I will continue our journey through the six pillars of well-being. We're still talking about the fifth pillar, our conscious beliefs and attitudes and character traits. I want to move on and talk now about worry, and possibly if we can expectations. But today I have a guest uh, that you already know. In fact, I received emails uh, asking me to keep inviting him because what he shared with the audience in the previous two interviews was so interesting and compelling. Before we start the interview, I want to make sure that uh, you have your assignment number eight for the WIT, Wheel Integration Training. Uh, it is number eight out of 12. For those of you do, who decided to give it a try to work on strengthening your willpower. By the way, I would love to hear from you, for those, from those who are practicing, want to know how you're doing with the exercises, how is your progress. So the assignment number eight is the following week, each time you're about to sit down, you say to yourself mentally, sitting down. And each time you are getting up, you mentally say to yourself, getting up. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our guest, Vladimir Angert. Hi, Vlad. I love that you do that. You know why I do it? <laughs> I didn't do I, I do it because you know, when I train, yeah. I know um, the Thai, even the teachers in, in Muay Thai uh -huh. honor the student. They honor the student by um, bowing out. Uh -huh. But I, I have a number of listeners to, who tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. to hear this show at, at PRN. Uh, I know about them because I receive emails from them. This already know you, Vlad. Uh -huh. But there are people who are listening to us today for the first time. Also today, for the first time, I'm making a video recording 
of this show at PRN so I could post it on my YouTube channel. Uh, I have 5,000 subscribers there and they didn't meet you yet. They don't, didn't, don't uh, know who you are, uh, at least most of them. So Vlad, though I have prepared a list of questions for today, you know I always have difficulties describing what you really do. So I will ask you to introduce yourself, what you do these days, but also, if you don't mind, give us uh, a short overview of what you did in the last 30 years. Uh, what brought you to where you are now with your practice, with your teachings and your personal beliefs? And last thing I want to say, what I usually do, and you don't have to follow my lead, but what I usually do when people ask me about my work and they say, what does it mean? What do you do? What's mind-body integrative therapy? I simply give them some clinical vignette. I describe them a to them a case and that gives them a good idea of what I do. So if you don't mind, after you introduce yourself and answer the questions that I ask, maybe you can start with giving some, uh, some case, some clinical vignette and explain your work. Okay, Vlad. Does, does that mean action? What, what? That, can you see me? I, do, I don't see you disappeared. No, I don't know why. Um, I have a camera, but it's not... Uh, do you see me now? No, I don't see you. Oh, no, here you are. Okay, fantastic. Okay, so, so first about yourself a little I'm, bit. Uh, uh, look, let me let me introduce myself. I, I, I did have an opportunity to really uh, reevaluate my practice over the years at least three or four times. So um, I've renamed the practice and I've renamed uh, what I do because uh, as the practice grew and my understanding grew, I found that uh, the old uh, labels were no longer appropriate. So, uh, I started my practice in 1998 as a, a, a well-known term, uh, as a psychic medium. Uh, you know, I've uh, talked to the deceased, uh, not by will at first, uh, since I was 12, I started talking to your father, for those that don't know that you're my uncle, um, when I was 12 years old, 14 years old, when I was in military academy. Um, but as I developed... As the practice developed, I found that it was a very, it was an increment of what's possible in phenomenon or otherworldly gifts. So I realized that uh, it's definitely soothing and healing for people to know that grandma and grandpa or, or their child, God forbid, is okay. And they do give specific information, but it's not growth. So it, it causes the individual to be dependent on my service. And then engages them and me uh, um, in constantly having to answer their questions and, and they get they get hooked on the phenomenon, basically. So then I... Vlad, I'm sorry for interrupting you, but I know you want to move on to the next yeah. topic, but, but it's such an interesting story. I think if I, I remember you helped a, a detective to find the murder weapon. Do you remember it was like maybe 20 years ago you were given... Remember? Would you so, tell the story? You want to give a, an example of what I did? Yes. It's a constant thing. 
there was uh, uh, what people basically came for is to reconnect with loved ones. But uh, my ability to do that, everyone has the ability to do that. They're just not paying attention. So um, uh, uh, I met um, a woman by the name of Melba. She was a homicide detective. Her child was killed in Florida by a drunk driver who was arrested 26 times by, uh, for drunk driving. And I spoke to her child specifically, and uh, her husband happened to be also a homicide detective. And um, he asked me to look at some files, but he wouldn't reveal anything. They're, they're, the cops don't reveal anything. These are the feds. They don't tell you anything. Even if they solve the case, they don't tell you. So he wanted me to look at a specific case where a, um, a young mother in the Bronx was shot in front of her four and six-year-old. So uh, they tell you nothing. He brought the file with him, and he told me nothing at all. So the mother showed up and described to us the whole entire scenario. She described uh, the killers. She told us that she they stopped in a Dominican bodega downstairs below her building. She described the scene. She even described what they took from her. The deceased one. The deceased one told you. Yes. So, you are in and out of focus for some reason. Would you move a little further away from camera? We'll see. Oh. A little closer, for whatever reason, you know, it, for, for those who will be watching us, okay, they will see a blurry image of Vlad. Maybe there is a meaning to it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, she proceeded to tell us uh, what the, uh, the guys that killed her took from her. They took a necklace from her, and she told me where they, uh, where they sold it in a porn store, on Fordham Road, and uh, I come to find out, he went there and found one of the guys, signed his own name, and they already had him in custody for a burglary. And so that's how my practice, I mean, it wasn't always that. Sometimes it was just simple, you know, people lose loved ones and they want to talk to them. I can't call them. So if they come, they say specific things that only they can recognize. I can't make it up. But that was... That was the beginning stages of my practice because it's something that I've always possessed, even as a child. I, I saw things that most people didn't. Then I had a uh, kind of a phenomenal breakthrough that, uh, as a result of constantly looking for development, and I, I can't really take credit for it because it's my it's my need for newness that uh, took me to the next step. Um, I wanted to desperately do something different. And so I um, I saw, I had an experience, I saw an angel, the angel Raphael, according to the Bible, he's a healing angel. And he told me that I would change the way the medical community looks at healing. And so I, I don't know if you remember, I came and told you, and you said, you know, stick to your psychic medium work, you have a lot of clients, you're doing well. Um, and Jerry, Jerry Epstein, said to me, I have a number for you to call. Call this woman. So I called this woman. Her name is Elaine Thomas. She's from a little town outside of Buffalo called Fredonia. It's, uh, it's an old, uh, it's a spiritualist community started in the 1850s by the Fox sisters. 
basically a lot of mediums at one time live there. So I call her up when she picks up the phone. She says, uh, what can I do for you? I never pick up this phone. How can I help you? You know, my New York attitude, I was 30, 30 years old. I said, <laughs> I, I kind of was taken aback. And she said, um, I said, look, I had an experience. She said, where? In the bathroom? So I thought she was being funny. Like, I had an experience in the bathroom. But really, that's where it happened. So I said, look, I'd like to come and see you. She said, well, I'm teaching a three-day course. You can sign up and come and have a three-day kind of retreat. I show up. I fly to Buffalo. I drive to Fredonia for two hours. I sat in her class. I, I never identified myself to her. I sat in the back of the class. I had blue shades on. And she went to four people, demonstrated her abilities. And at one point, she says, young man, can I come to you? I said, sure. She said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to pay really close attention to this young man. He's going to change the way the medical community looks at healing. Word for word, what Raphael said to me. And then she caused another phenomenon. She said, I'm going to give you all an exercise that will develop you. And I, of course, I was wondering what that was going to be for me. She made 22 other people wash my feet. I was, by the third person, I was hysterical crying, sitting in my chair. Because uh, I asked her why she did it. She said, I didn't know how to receive. And in order to be who I'm supposed to be, I have to be able to allow myself to receive. In more ways than one. In other words, if I can't receive understanding from you or from a person that I encounter, or I can't receive energy and, and I'm so cooked up and self-absorbed that I'm all that in the bag of chips, then I can't receive energy into my heart and into my soul to expand my abilities or to sustain my ability because my ability doesn't come from my brain. It comes from my soul. So that started the development of my healing practice. And um, about 2002, I got, uh, as a result of... Uh, my wife got an assignment, my ex-wife got an assignment to go to New Mexico to cover a property for a, a gentleman by the name of Tom Laurel. He built an environmentally conscious resort out in Taos, New Mexico. We were there for about three days, and he said to me, you're not press, what do you do? I said, I do this. He said, well, come with me, I wanna show you something. He took me to this building, and uh, he had remodeled it and made it kind of a spiritual sanctuary. I said, what do you think about, um, what do you think about this place? I think it's awesome. And I did a bunch of readings and talked to the press trip. There was eight women in the press trip. And uh, Lynn and I went back home. About three months later, his CEO contacted us and said, Tom wants to host your wedding. So he flew us there and gave us a house, a car, and a Ferrari for our uh, wedding. <laughs> and we had a, a wedding on a 10,000-acre ranch, and my life changed in a split second. I gave the speech at the wedding. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and Tom supported my work for almost four years. And uh, I developed there. I developed, when I say developed, I, I started to encounter through the healing process, through healing others. I, I had an interaction with, with a couple of master souls. I had uh, uh, altogether in the last 23 years, 28 phenomenal experiences, meaning I saw 
uh, a known master soul, which would give me concrete information, how reality works and how to understand consciousness and the human experience and the spiritual experience. And then continue, I can apply it in my work and I can apply it in, in, uh, in my life and whatever relationship I encounter. And so that developed into something that I practice and teach today, which I call realized medicine, because ultimately people that call themselves practitioners or healers, if they're not realized, they can't help anyone. What do you mean? What do you explain? What does it mean realized? Realized means that you understand not only the power of deliberate intent, that your belief is constantly creating your experience, not your thoughts, not your ideas. There's no law of attraction. There's only a law of creation. God expressed itself into the human experience. We are its expression and our lives are our expression. And so every nuance, every single scenario, your toilet clogs, it's an expression of how you are, how clogged you are. If your car breaks down, it's an expression of you. So people will say, well, it's a lot of responsibility to take on. By, but, by, yeah, by the way, I just want to chip in my, my dear audience. I want you to know what Vlad is saying he discovered through his own experience we actually have in 26 verse of the first chapter of Genesis. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So if God is cre a creator and we are an image of a nice likeness of the creator, we are creators. This was said 3,380 years ago. It's just blood is discovering now through his personal experiences. So, so uh, you know, I kind of used to pride myself on the fact that I didn't read it anywhere. I'm not an educated person. I, I, I finished nine grades, as you know. I didn't graduate high school, and so my I, I literally I didn't learn it from someone. I received it. I got introduced to the ideas through you and Jerry. So my constant intermittent interaction with you. Uh, I mean. You, I'm sure you, you can vouch for, for me and to the audience that I hardly ever took a class from you in the, in my whole your whole entire career. I took one dream class. Um, so what had happened is it constantly manifested itself, and it would take three years for each idea and understanding to assimilate itself into my into my understanding. So, for instance, I'll explain as you requested. In 2000, in 1999 or 2000, right, probably a year before 9-11, I had an interaction with the Master of Christianity. And he said one thing to me, anything you can imagine is real. <laughs> I mean, you could say it's insignificant, right? He also put something in my hand. And uh, talking and, about a child, right? The, yes. when the child, yes. God, I yes. want it's amazing because I wanted you to ask to, to actually share with this experience because I was at the lecture where, where the mother of the child testified right. and told the story. Okay, so I, um, I was traveling back and forth to Brooklyn, New York, from Montclair, New Jersey, daily and seeing 12, 14 people a day, non stop, you know, an hour and 15 minutes each way, and at some point. 
my ex-wife said, look, why are you driving in traffic constantly? Why don't you go up the hill? And there's a healing center uh, that does acupuncture and massage. Why don't you tell them what you do? I'm sure they'll give you clients. So for a change, I listened to her. I went and the woman who owned the place gave me, I think, 40 people that weekend. And uh, on, a, on a Sunday, I went, I was cleaning up, waiting uh, to see people. And as I was walking out of, the, out of the restroom, I saw an energy, which wasn't a disembodied soul. It was more of a, a very big energy. And I asked, I always ask three questions. Who are you? Have you ever been in the human experience? And how can I be more effective as a healer? It said, I'm Yeshua. I said, have you ever been in the human experience? He said, yes, I'm known as this, as Jesus. Now, all my religious friends will probably never talk to me again. But the truth is, I said, how can you help me? Because you're a master healer. How can you help me be more effective? He said, anything you can imagine is real. It changed everything. It changed my practice. It changed the way I interact with reality. It changed one very interesting phenomenon an interesting aspect of me because of the way I grew up. I'd walk into a public establishment and my imagination would instantly go into where's the exit door and who I'm going to hit and how I'm going to do it to get out of this place. So I realized that my imagination was constantly co-creating my circumstances, that I was conspiring against myself and creating experiences that I really didn't want because my imagination had no peace. So aside from the fact that I could use now use my imagination to alter reality or to affect an outcome in someone's health or otherwise, he also handed me something in my palm. That morning, after my experience with him, uh, Isabel called from the healing center and said, I'm sending you someone He's, uh, he's coming with his grandmother and his mother. His name is uh, Quinn. He was 11 months old. And he was born with a condition called hemivertebra. He was missing uh, a piece of the L5. So it was literally uh, half a vertebra, and he was leaning 37 degrees. Um, apparently, according to the medical community, if they lean any further, the cerebral spinal fluid stops flowing properly, and they eventually die. According to the medical community, they don't live very long. Their head swells because of, you know, their proper flow and so on, and the spine not being straight. Anyway, uh, they came to see me, the grandmother, the mother, and the, the little boy, 11 months old. And I started treating him with the help of another medium, also Vlad from Poland. And in the process, uh, uh, the kid had a hump that formed itself from the muscles were compensating for the missing piece of vertebra, for the missing bone. So the muscles formed itself into a hump on his right side. In 45 minutes, the hump was gone. And in the process, I realized what the master gave me. He gave me the other piece. And with my imagination, he said, anything you can imagine is real. Right? With my imagination, I reached my hand into the spine, installed it, and treated the kid for three months, twice a week for 18 minutes. They went for an MRI and they found a new vertebra in place. Quinn Francis is 18 years old today. He's the same age as my CL. 
I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, I am a witness. I was at that lecture when you, you were giving the lecture and the mother was there saying, I, telling the I, story. I still have a testimonial from, from Tara. She's yeah. gone now. She, she died from COVID. I just recently contacted them to see how he's doing. Uh, and, and he's 18 years old. He's 18, like CL. Mm. Um, he, um, so that's how my practice developed as a result of these kind of phenomenal experiences where I would learn a concept that is how to function in reality, but not just to be a successful healer, but really, you know, there was a, a Rabbi Nachman who lived in the 1800s said, a man that can alter an outcome of reality with his imagination is greater than the man that could predict a possible outcome. So then, you know, all these psychics and mediums and people who, who pride themselves on wanting to predict something, it's a complete waste of time. So then I, I, I started to remodel my practice again. So I realized it's not important to predict people's outcomes. It's more important to teach them how to form their own outcomes. Okay. Since you are talking about this, love, you know, people hear about imagination. Everybody has imagination, but not they were thinking, okay, that's nice. I have imagination, but I cannot take imaginary piece of some energy and put it in, in my own uh, leg. In fact, somebody uh, I spoke to recently who listens to my um, radio shows and heard you speak already uh, on March 30th, I believe, and said, does, does blood do um, rebuilding the body? Because I'm an amputee. In fact, I said to him, next time I, I interview Vlad, call in. My question is, could he do it for himself or could you do this? I don't even know what part of what is amputated. But is that a possibility? And is the, just imagination enough? People lose their imagination as a result of a lack of a relationship with the creative force. Imagination doesn't come from the brain. It comes from the vibrational uh, light of the soul. So the, the soul's light inspires the intellect and you create imagination. It's part of the reason why people get Alzheimer's because they lose the ability to imagine moving forward. They're no longer vigorous and full of life. They don't do, they can't do the things they did before. So they lose their ability to imagine. So they start replaying moments of the past in their mind's eye and the brain calcifies and, and, and atrophies. So imagination, Tom. Uh, that's interesting. You know, the French have incredible ability to, to describe illnesses through the essence of the illness. You know, the, the French word for Alzheimer's is retourne des enfants, return to infancy. Incredible, incredible, incredible. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, can it be done? I, honestly, I did it twice. Uh, I treated a woman who's still alive. Uh, she had a muscle the size of my palm removed from her back to replace a, uh, uh, an, a removed breast. She had a mastectomy as a result of cancer. So, to compensate for the missing piece, they took a piece of flesh from her back or muscle. I, I'm, honestly, I'm not even sure. I think it's muscle. And so underneath the skin where she had the surgery, it started to rot. 
it literally became uh, infected and was constantly slushy. If you touched it, it was kind of like, you know, it, it, it was kind of like touching quicksand. Uh, our husband, husband, who recently died, he was a mechanic. He was a fairly simple dude. He was super. He was a bodybuilder and a mechanic. And he would say, Vlad, I, I don't, I mean, I touch it and it's, it's gross, you know. I treated her and replaced the tissue. And when he touched it after treatment, uh, it was solid again. So to say that I that that it's impossible, I'm not going to say that. But I've never done. So you have to be at such a vibratory state. Remember, you and I both understand that form follows function, right? So then, the the hand is an expression of giving, receiving, letting go, holding on, and so on, right? So if someone loses a limb, it's because they didn't value the ability to move forward, so they lost their leg. Now, relearning how to move forward, engaged with the creative force and and receiving energy from the creator, there has to be a certain level. You have to stay at a certain level in order to reform something. That's how the vertebra formed itself. I didn't get it myself. I got it from a master soul. I don't subscribe to Christianity. I wouldn't even know why he came to me. But he's a master soul, and he gave me something from that vibratory state of the unseen world that moved into the human experience and took form. Well, that's how we take form. That's what happens to us as people. So to say that it can't happen, it wouldn't be true. There's a caller named Michael. You see him? Yeah. Oh, this is, yes. Uh, I think this is Michael. Uh, please, if, if I don't even know how to ask, if uh, we can have Michael now talk to us, please connect us with Michael. Hello, Peter. Michael? Yes, can you hear me? Hi, Ma- Michael. Yes, Michael. <laughs> I have your book, actually. Uh, right here in front of me, ushering the golden age. Thank you for calling. Yes, well, well, thank you for asking Vlad the questions. Vlad, I'm an amputee. Uh, My leg was amputated in 2012. It's the left leg below the knee. Welcome welcome to Peter Resnick's show. (laughs) Well, Michael called to ask you the question, is it possible? Can you, I assume if Michael, I I think from, actually I have Michael and I spoke on the phone, we became friends, we discovered that we have so much in common, numerologically we're the same number, we're the same age. So Michael sent me his book, from what I understand, he's on on, on the level that he's ready to receive, but I don't think that it's, possible for him to do it on his own. It's collaborative experience. So the question to you, and that's why I think Michael, why he's calling, can you get involved with something like this? Right, Michael? It's, it's, I don't hear him. Okay. Look, I'm, we're a threat of sounding completely psychotic and schizophrenic, right? I mean, if anybody heard this, they'd, they'd say, these guys got to be locked up because they're talking nonsense, right? It sounds like frou-frou spirituality. But I can tell you one thing, that we're moving. It's interesting. 
Michael wrote that book, we're moving towards a time where that's not going to be that ridiculous. Because if you think about it, what is form? It's cellular structure, gathering of cells that constantly vibrate and pulsate, right? We pulsate with the vibration and the, and the pulse of the universe. So then it's not out of the question. It's just that we have become so physical material that it seems as if it's such an extreme, like a fantasy thing, uh, but it's really not. The guy that I mentioned that helped me was Quinn Francis um, and the vertebra is also Vlad. He's a Polish guy. He did. He he was an expert at, at um, psychic surgery. He lived out in Florida somewhere in Sarasota. He's gone now. When I when I knew him, he, he was in the late 70s. Um, and this was 20 years ago. So um, he introduced me to a lot of really interesting things. Vlad. And one of the things that he talked to me about was his nephew. Something happened in Poland. His nephew got severely beat up with baseball bats by some people in the street, and they shattered his arm. And so he said, I had no idea. And this was, Peter, you know me. This was a real guy, like so real and practical, no frou-frou nonsense, no tree hugging. This is a this is a real human being. He he wouldn't even talk to you. The first question when you called him to, for healing, he would say, Why do you need this? <laughs> He'd be like, What? <laughs> what do you mean? What do I need this? He was just a real person. So he said, I walked into my nephew's hospital room and they were going to cut it off. They were going to cut off the kid's arm. He was 19. The kid was 19 years old. And he said, the first thing that came to me as a vision, he thought, I'm going to cut it off myself and toss it up and receive a new arm. So the, the arm was so shattered that the kid couldn't move his fingers even. So the bone was completely shattered. There was no way to restructure it in like 20 minutes according to vlad and i believe him because he's a real human being there's no there was no nonsense about him he wasn't a kumbaya spiritualist the arm was whole which means he was on such a high level of of receiving that he can form you know there's there's so many there's this new thing called clubhouse and people talking about manifesting reality manifesting their boats and manifesting their houses manifesting body parts that's an achievement but we have michael now he's listening to us so what do you say to michael he this is what would need to do a lot of work. I don't if do I know it's real, but I believe in God and anything is possible. And you, you know about my kid, you know my stories, you know what's you know what I participated in. Um, I've been blessed enough to see incredible phenomena. So I mean, should should Michael call you and you will continue this conversation with him? That's it. He has to choose it. Okay. Yes. Okay, you know, your, your website will be available on our archives. Okay, thank you. Good. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, thank you, Peter. Hello, Michael. Yes, I just said thank you. And thank you, oh, Vladimir. Welcome. Thank you for calling. 
Okay. I am in the middle of reading your book. I love it. I love what you write about taking the responsibility. That's that's nicely written, and it's so true. So good. Thank you for calling, Michael. So, Vlad, uh, uh, I remember at some point uh, you taught a class, or you, I, that was a while ago, where you taught. An, uh, an exercise, actually, of how people can develop the skills of in, within themselves of reaching their own body, of, of affecting their body. I remember it's going through different organs and so on. Could you demonstrate something uh, now to people, if those who would want to participate, or it's, or it's like too much? No, it's, it, it's, it doesn't have to be a demonstration, but I can explain it in detail, which I think would help the listener. I, I can technologically describe the purpose and the, the intention, so it would help the listener understand how it's done. So okay. there are a lot of, uh, there are many wellness people in the world, so I call them theorists, like Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra, you know, uh, um, Don Miguel Ruiz, all these folks that talk about the deliberate intent and the power of deliberate intent and asking it is given and so on. The point is that unless you are daily engaged in a devotional relationship with the creative force, you can't do any of that. So uh, the reason I, I'm starting with that, uh, uh, I, I start with with making an emphasis on the relationship because people are many folks are empty energetically but they're super intellectual and are well read and so they think that the concepts can help them without having a devotional life they cannot you can squint your eyes and and press yourself and and stand on your head it's not going to work in order for it to work you have to sustain your soul through practice. I mean, whatever your practice is, whether it's Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, it doesn't matter. Whatever your practice is, that's your vibrational practice. It's what keeps you connected to that which created you. Without its energy, you can't correct anything. So you're just imagining, you know, uh, uh, squares and triangles. They don't mean anything. In order to restructure matter, you have to be energetically at a high frequency in order to have an effect through imagination. So creative imagination can also be useless because unless you are full of creative energy and that body of yours that co-creates, you can't do anything. It's, it's a dream. It's nothing. People say, oh, well, I tried these concepts. Uh, they, they don't work. Oh, they don't work because you're an empty shell. You, you can't affect anything without having a relationship with the creative force. So now, once you develop a relationship and your energy body is strong, that's where, let's say, Kriya Yoga comes in. Kundalini or, or, or the Sikhs have an incredible system. I lived with them out in New Mexico and, and practice, still practice Kriya. Uh, what it does, it sustains the energy. It sustains the energy of the, of the soul through breath. So repetitive action 
strengthening the energy of the soul envelops the nervous system in energy and oxygen. Therefore, it gives you peace and calm long enough to be still to receive from the creative force, to be in alignment with the flow. Then that flow, you can direct the flow to affect anything, whether it's a body part or an outcome of what you desire in life. So all the mind tricks, you know, all these wellness people, Tony Robbins, or people that speak about wellness, you cannot affect anything. You Essentially, you deplete your own source. We're not an unlimited source. We're finite people. We're in the image and likeness of it. We can co-create, but only if we're connected to it, to the generator. Well, those people follow these teachers that you mentioned yeah. and who are already at that level or have devotional practice will get their guidance of these teachers and will do very well. Absolutely. And those who are not at that level, then you are saying it will not work. It will it's, just intellectual kind of gibberish. It's, it's what uh, uh, Jerry Epstein used to call spiritual materialism. Mm -hmm. Collecting tricks. It means nothing. Right, and be, and be able to talk about things rather yeah. than experience. Absolutely. So you can affect it. If you want to clean your arteries, let's say uh, someone comes and says, listen, you know, I found out that my carotid artery is clogged. You, you don't have to have surgery. You can go. I'm not a physician, by the way, for the audience. I'm not a surgeon. I, I'm a healer. So you can sit quietly for 20 minutes, breathe, enhance the light of your soul, and then with your imagination, enter the tube of your artery and literally clean it. You don't need a hammer, you don't need a chisel. You can literally clean as if you were cleaning a, a, a pipe in your plumbing system. And, and it'll be so. Go and get yourself checked out through a physician and you'll see the results. But in order to do that, you have to be it's your cells of your human body have to be fluid with oxygen and energy. Otherwise, you're just a condensed form and it becomes irreparable. When it turns into something solid like a tumor, it's, it becomes, according to the medical community, irreparable. It's still, you can still fix it. It's, it's not a problem. Anything can be healed because if it created it, it can uncreate it but you have to include it. Yes, I, I remember many years ago when I worked at the Shakta Center for Complementary Medicine, uh, uh, one of the physicians joined the practice. She, she was actually a, a wife of a general. And she said in, in her introductory lecture of, of the work that she does, she said, cancer is the enemy and we have to defeat it, <laughs> truly, <laughs> the wife of a general. And I actually, that, that was the first time when I realized you cannot defeat cancer as an enemy because it's a, it's a teacher. It's something that's part of us. So unless, like you say, you embrace it and learn from it, you cannot, like Jerry Epstein said, you cannot disown what you don't own. But right. what you are adding, if I understand correctly, even that is not enough. 
you understand it, but then you need to elevate your own vibrational level to then imagine it disappearing or going away, thanking it for the ex experience that it gave you and then letting it go. The, 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 <clears throat> the obstruction, yes. even in, in Michael's case, uh, I hope he doesn't mind that I'm bringing him up as an example, uh, nothing nothing is by chance, right? That's your, that's your favorite saying. So then um, the, the body part represents, the, is the form for the intention, right? It formed itself. The leg is, a, is an expression of movement forward. We don't walk backwards and also support, right? So uh, you can use general terms and say, well, you know, it's a leg and it's the left and it's the past. It's Michael's past that's keeping him from moving. No, that's not necessarily true. Michael is an individual. So then when we use general terms, we make uh, observations uh, in a spiritual way, but they then become statistics because then the shoulder represents carrying weight. But for me, my shoulder was injured for a different reason, not just carrying responsibility or weight. It, there was a different reason. I can't say it on online. <laughs> you understand? So then, then Michael has to discover himself through the process, and this is why I, I developed Realized Medicine, uh, I love this term, it came to me. It's not learned, it's earned. It's very, it's a huge difference. People say, well, Vlad, I wanna, I wanna do what you're doing. I wanna teach what you're teaching. No, you can't. You have to go through the process. Once it becomes yours, then it's yours and you can share it. So you really literally have to go through the process in order to get it. And I didn't read it anywhere, I got it. Uh, direct experience. Absolutely. So interesting, you know, you know in Judaism, for example, we, the, uh, the, the Torah uh, the, uh, or the Bible, as they call it, or the New Te the Old Testament, as Christians call it, uh, is 5,888 verses. And there is not one verse in where it's written, believe in me. There is no asking to believe in God in the whole Bible. There are many, many uh, mentionings of love, of, of experience, but no, don't not believe. It's written, no, I am your God, which means knowledge literally means understanding gained through experience. I you have experience. I promise you. I, I promise you. You can ask anybody. When I speak to retreats, the students, the clients, I say, I don't believe in God. I know God. I don't. You can't tell me anything. I saw the Master of Christianity. I spoke to Moses. You can't tell me anything. You look at me, you'll know. If you feel me, you feel treatment, you'll know. The concepts that I received from them, they're impenetrable. I didn't just stand in front of a master soul that that you know appeared before me as an entity. That's it's completely meaningless. They gave me structured understanding and how to look at reality, and it correlates with Torah, which means the text that Moses downloaded from the source is impenetrable. It came. It's it's a technological structure which we received not just for the Jews for humanity. That's why 72% of the world practice the commandments, because they're not commandments, they're commitments to a way of life that 
collects you from the impulses of the human experience and gathers you so that you can receive and be in the flow. So and what, if I understand correctly, what you're saying is everybody has the capacity to connect. It's not just Moses or Jesus came to you and you are the only receiver of the truth. It's a certificate on my wall, sir. There's nothing that says that I have an exclusive on any of these abilities. But, and yet, uh, not everybody is having these experiences. So my question to you, if somebody says, you know, I, won't, I don't want, I'm not asking for all the skills that you have, but how do I start? Tell me, what do I do in the coming three weeks that will elevate my, my vibrational energy field so that I can get a glimpse of it? One simple solution. Yes. How, how many weeks did you say for the next three weeks? Yeah, three weeks because research. You know. <laughs> That's a segue. It's a setup. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's like a layup. <laughs> for the next three weeks. Yeah. Think about the first commandment. What's the first commandment? I am your God. Why? No other God before me. Why? Because there is one source. Of? Of life, of energy. You can't hug a tree and receive energy. You can't stick your feet in the water and receive energy for your soul. You can't depend on a man to give you energy. And if you consume yourself with conversation about a man or of something that someone said to you, you've already made them God and they consumed your heart and your mind and you're no longer in alignment with the flow. Right. That's, that's, what that's idolatry. That's violation of the first commandment. Right. So then the way it's been presented to us as if some dude in the sky is going to jump out and punish us because if we have a statue in our house, then it means we're worshiping idol. No, idolatry literally means if you and I have a conflict and I take up space in my head and intellectualize and, and constantly entertain the conflict, then therefore I take up, I consume myself by holding my breath. I arrest my heart because now my heart is taken up by conflict i'm angry i'm not breathing i cannot receive oxygen or energy to fuel my soul i'm you are now my god and you're not an unlimited source of energy so now i'm depleting myself by consuming myself with you practice that for 21 days you see how you feel that's what the commandments are for they're a technological structure it's not about a guy jumping out of the sky and punishing you. It doesn't punish or reward. All it does is create, and we direct the creative process into the human experience. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, okay. Uh, let me ask you, I have still two questions. We have only eight, nine minutes left. I started uh, this show by saying that I was talking about depression last week and I will continue a little bit um, talking about depression next week. Can you help us out? You know, you know my perspective and, and the tools that I teach um, to deal with depression. What would you suggest? How do you add to, to my talk on depression? The nature of depression and what people can do practically to help themselves. Uh, look, I've had, um, I'm a very black and white kind of cut and dry guy, you know, 
there's nothing. I try to keep my practice very clear and very practical because it's the way I would have wanted to be taught about anything. I, I need the facts, just the facts. I don't need any frou-frou crystals. I just need the facts. And so some folks may get offended by my views of depression, but I've been personally been depressed, as you know. Um, so um, the challenge of depression when you're in it, it just seems like everything is, is dark and there's no possibility. It's just a, it's just a lack of possibility. So when you're in your abyss of physical material thought and you're dragging your past and trying to condition your outcomes with your old tools, you fall into this abyss where that doesn't stop because you're trying to, what I recently heard is manage God. But if you step into the flow, meaning you start to pray, you do breathing exercises, you push yourself to do yoga, you start moving and you stimulate the flow and the process of receiving, you will see that it will start to dissipate, but you have to take step towards it. Numbing yourself with substances or numbing yourself with medication is not going to do anything. I'm not a physician. I can't recommend or say not to use medication, but I can tell you from personal experience. I had a, a, a fantastic experience with a client, and I think he summed it up. Um, I treated him for um, bone marrow cancer, and he called me. Uh, he got healed. He came for five retreats, and he called me from from a club. He was with his wife drinking. He says, "I'm in a club drinking wine and smoking a joint, thanks to you." But I feel strange. I said, um, "Do you think you're depressed?" He said, "I don't have that luxury." So, I think he summed it up. That's my view. Thank you. It goes back to something I spoke about, <clears throat> and that is meaning. When people are infused with meaning, they don't have time to be depressed. Uh, in fact, like what you said, I, the man said, I don't have such luxury. I know one of, of my clients was telling me about her life and challenges that she had raising two, two children, being on, on her own, having no money, and she finally um, spoke to a psychologist, just had one session, and she said, you know, I feel I, I'm getting depressed, I'm overwhelmed. He said, sorry, you don't have such luxury. Two children to take care of. And she said, I snapped out of it. I said, I cannot afford it. I did it. No, I did it. I had two kids. I was by myself. I had nothing. I moved to Florida. I, you know, I was working in Texas. Uh, I made a, a bunch of money, but it didn't serve me because I was completely down. I was now taking care of a four-month-old and a three-year-old at 47 years old. And uh, I considered doing away with everything. And uh, I started to pray. I prayed every day. I breathed. I would crawl out of my bed before taking them to school. I'd come into my yoga mat and breathe and do one asana one yoga movement at a time and one day this is a, a really interesting story i'll let you decide i uh i saw two or three clients i had a little bit of money and i bought a bunch of food to have 
the Shabbat, Sabbath, with my children. I cooked the food, put it in the refrigerator, and I guess, I don't know, I guess I didn't pay the electric bill, and the electric shut off, and the refrigerator blew up, and all my food went bad. And I thought, oh my God, this is truly the end of this old kind of depressed state. I Honestly, I, I didn't feel like it was the end. I felt like this is the beginning of something new. And a guy on Sunday, literally that Sunday, a guy calls me from Panama. He came here to Miami. He said, listen, I heard about you. I haven't been able to move my arm for six years. Nobody can help me. Can you help me? I treated him twice. The guy's moving his arm. He's, he comes back to me. He said, Black, I really feel bad. I said, why? He says, I, I don't feel right giving you $250. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I mean, this, that's my fee. He goes, no, but I, I, I don't think it's right. I said, okay, so then give me what you want. He wrote me a check for $15,000. Oh, that was the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Very nice, nice story. Vlad, we have two more minutes. Maybe you can try to answer my last question. Yes. People are scared of COVID. Some people, what, are there any exercises that you teach people to, if they, they are infected, if they are positive, what can they do? I know that you treated many people with COVID. Yeah. I, I, I would say in all total, probably 50 people. Uh, I treated a, a whole family that got COVID in Colombia via FaceTime. And in, in one session, they were completely different. What do you do in two minutes? Can you? I'm sorry for rushing now. I, I insist that they, their, their, their fear is what kills them. They drown in their emotions. They drown in war from, from uh, pneumonia. And by holding their breath out of fear, they inflame their pulmonary valve. And so they die. And so, so they're... Somebody, if somebody is... Oh, has it's called... Cannon breath. You can look at. You can look it up on YouTube. Um, it's it's oxygenation of the lungs. It looks it looks like breath of fire only with your mouth. <laughs> Pumping oh. the belly. Three minutes. Or if you can't, if you're unable to do it, inhaling up, inhaling your arms up through your nose, and then exhaling down for three minutes. It's very hard. People think it's easy. You, you remember, Vlad, one time oh. I had a terrible headache. You made me do this like a hundred times and boom, instantly the headache disappeared. Because you're oxygenating your brain. You're receiving oxygen and expanding the energy body and everything slows down and calms down. You stop creating stories about things that don't exist. You stop dragging somebody else's story into your reality. And so then you don't have to be a statistic. You don't have to die from COVID. It's a flu. Vlad, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I have to say goodbye to everybody. Thank you for participating with us today. And I hope to have you here next week. Peace to all who want to live in peace.